Hi, I'm Debbie Georges. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Hillary's bizarre attack on Tulsi Gabbard and Russia. Terry Schilling of the American Principles Project joins me. Flynn lawyer Sidney Powell and the Mifsud cell phones. I cannot wait to tell you about this. And finally, Christian persecution in Minnesota. And finally, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. On today's First Five, I want to talk with you briefly about why Hillary Clinton is attacking a Democrat presidential candidate, Tulsi Gabbard, who's polling at 1% or maybe in some polls at 2%. But Hillary Clinton, ever seeking the spotlight, is looking for places to get public attention and didn't do so well on her book tour. So she actually took an interview on a podcast. It's a podcast by a a gentleman named David Plouffe, who was Obama's um, campaign director, campaign manager. He now has a, a, a podcast and interviewed Hillary Clinton, in which interview Hillary said, she said there is a Democrat presidential candidate in this race who is really running as a Russian asset and that that person was going to go along in this primary and then step out and do a third party run and ruin the uh, election and end up having Donald Trump win again in 2020. By the way, before I just talk about Tulsi, Hillary also said in this interview, she accused the 2016 Green Party nominee, Jill Stein. Jill Stein, remember she ran in 2016 for president uh, for the green uh, with the green party of being a russian asset later on after this interview one of hillary's team identified the person that hillary is claiming as a democrat presidential candidate who's actually a russian asset who is going to be a spoiler in the 2020 elections to be tulsi gabbard now tulsi gabbard is a congresswoman from hawaii a democrat obviously she actually has a military background And as I say, she's polling at one or two percent. So why in the world would Hillary be taking shots at Tulsi? And I will tell you that one reason, one background stress they have between them is that Tulsi Gabbard had a high up position in the Democrat National Committee during the 2016 primary when Hillary and Bernie Sanders were running as candidates in the primary. As you all likely recall, we talked about in the show, turned out the DNC inside behind these scenes was trying to orchestrate the election results to get Bernie out and make sure Hillary was a Democrat Party's nominee. Tulsi Gabbard was among the high-level DNC people who realized this, didn't like it. She actually resigned because of it. So she stepped out very critical of the DNC for trying to orchestrate the 2016 election or the primary toward Hillary and away from Bernie. So this is a long-standing irritation with Hillary that a fellow Democrat woman dared to undermine her by criticizing a DNC. So they've had it out for each other a little bit since then. I shouldn't say it that way. Hillary's had it out for Tulsi since 2016. But the other point I want to make is that Hillary made this claim in a obviously i read about it you may have read about it 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 is in some little podcast but it ended up making a lot of national news she's actually accusing a current democrat nominee of being a russian asset 
Hillary gets hung up calling people Russian assets, something she ought to be worried that people are talking about her, accusing her of being. Tulsi Gabbard came right back at her. Here's Tulsi's tweet. Uh, great, thank you, at Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption, and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain. From the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know. It was always you, through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine, afraid of the threat I pose. It's now clear that this primary is between you and me. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. Okay, that is a hilarious response from Tulsi Gabbard. Most attention her campaign has gotten in the entire time was this little tete-a-tete back and forth with Hillary. But I think Tulsi's hitting on something, which I've t- said in the show in the past, and I, I truly believe it to, to the core of my being. Hillary Clinton is always considering getting back into the presidential run. She's always thinking about it. Until she is gone from this world, she'll be debating whether America needs her, whether she should jump in again and run for president. Last point on Hillary is... We have national media treating us to the endless litany of accusations that President Trump is somehow loony, somehow kind of off. There's something wrong with him. He he says things he shouldn't say. He does things he shouldn't do. He's embarrassing. He's crazy. I mean, they actually had people talking at one point about whether or not they should be ready within the Washington establishment to replace President Trump because he wasn't competent to hold office. These stories about Trump's a supposed lack of stability. And we talked the other day about, uh, we had Peggy Noonan forever making little jabs at President Trump about how he's not really presidential and he's not stable and he might not even be sane. Consider Hillary Clinton and why the media draws no attention to her and her relative lack of sanity or insanity. She can't even concede she lost the 2016 election. She repeatedly talks about the 2016 election as though she won it. She can't take personal responsibility for the fact that we have a constitutional system she was well aware of that has an electoral college that actually requires, because the electoral college exists, requires candidates who want to win the presidency to go to various states and make their pitch, tell them why they're the best choice, hold their rallies, whatever they're going to do. Hillary was too smug and self-important to think she had to go to some of the flyover, throwaway states. She didn't, she didn't consider them important enough to talk to. She ended up losing the presidency because she didn't understand or wish to comply with the Electoral College. Since the time that she lost the 2016 presidential election, she's been part of one effort after another to undermine this president. She's been in cahoots with the Russians. If you count the fact, for example, that she is her campaign that paid Fusion GPS to pay somebody to cook up the Russia-Trump collusion hoax that engulfed this country for two plus years after President Trump legitimately and completely won the 2016 presidency. Hillary's been behind stirring up accusations about Russians. 
getting involved with accusations about Trump's wrongdoing, supporting behind the scenes, and she's the one who engaged in the whole unbelievable, clearly illegal effort to set up a private, you know, homebrew server at home and was completely vindicated because no one in the government dares, dares criticize her, dares charge her, dares even raise the point that, hey, Hillary, that's not exactly legal. Did you know that? So wrapping up the first five, I will say this. If anyone deserves characterizations in our media for being loopy, it is Hillary, Hillary's delusion, not understanding that she actually lost the 2016 election because she ran a terrible campaign. And on top of that, because the American people don't trust her, maybe having something to do with the homebrewed server, I don't know, maybe something to do with the, uh, you, uh, with her dealing with the Ukraine, maybe something having to do with her uranium assets deal with the Russians. All I know is at the end of the day, Hillary lost fair and square and she can't deal with reality. And that, my friends, is not particularly a sign of sanity. And that, my friends, is today's first five. As I mentioned before, we, at the start of the show, we have joining a guest. He is on video. I do believe we have him joining. This is Terry Schilling joining us. He is um, not in studio, obviously, but joining by video. I will quickly tell you, he is the executive director of, of an organization called the American Principles Project, APP. By way of quick background, he has a very political background working in communications, development, grassroots, and management positions with Representative Chris Smith, Republican of New Jersey, and Senator Sam Brownback, as well as others. So he has a political background. He is now the executive director of the American Principles Project. Hello and welcome, Terry. Hey, thanks for having me, Debbie. Really, really happy to be here. Well, happy you could join us. So I'm going to start by just asking you, can you tell our listeners, by the way, I'll tell you listeners, I just met this gentleman at a function in Texas two or three weeks ago. Um, and we, it's a, obviously a conservative function, full of uh, room full of people, very enthused about our country and America and patriotism and conservatism. So we had a great little uh, introduction and followed up with him. I'm glad he's here. So would you tell us, please, Terry, what is the American Principles Project? We are the premier political organization defending the family. So to put it in like really simple terms so everyone can you know have an example, we're kind of like the NRA for the family. We get involved in direct elections and campaigns. We run campaign ads for the good guys and against the bad guys. And our number one goal is to make it easier to get married and have children because the, the family has always been what makes America great and the way that families go is the way that the country goes and that's what our big thing is. Great. I saw one, I mean you have on your website several different um, descriptions of the organization and their mission. One that I really liked says dedicated to putting human dignity at the heart of public policy. That's I like that little slogan but okay so I want to turn to and ask you to start with there is an effort obviously the American left has an effort to try to have the uh, federal government in some way subsidize or provide paid family leave for every family when a woman uh, has a child and whether she and her husband want to stay home full time the left always says let's just have a new federal benefit which is forced payment through taxpayers to the people to pay for uh, family leave so parents can stay home with their babies um, after they when they uh, have a new child so the conservatives have been trying to come up with some that just the left solution grows government grows taxes make makes people responsible for other people's decisions decisions but the right has come up with different solutions too 
I understand your organization is supporting the Paid Family Leave Act, which is a bill by Bill Cassie of Louisiana um, and Kristen Cinema of Arizona. So why are you supporting the Cassidy bill? Can you tell our listeners what it would do? Yeah, uh, it's real simple. So we look at uh, the country is facing record low birth rates and also record low marriage rates. And so we want to make it easier to do to get married and have kids. And what's happening with our generation is you have uh, the, the husband uh, graduates college with 80 grand worth of student loan debt. The wife graduates with the same amount. They both get married. They both get 160K, which is basically a mortgage. Um, and they have to make payments on that. Uh, they're living hand to mouth. And the idea of taking time off of work uh, to have a baby is keeping them from having kids. That's our theory. Uh, now, there have been a lot of plans out there. What I really like about the Cassidy Cinema Bill is that it's based in free market principles. It's completely paid for, and it doesn't grow government. Uh, basically, what happens is, is after you have a child, you get a $5,000 advance of the child tax credit um, for that baby, and you can use it to take more time off of work. You can use it to help pay off medical bills. You can, it's your money. Um, and the pay for is that instead of $2,000 a year for your child tax credit, you'll get 1500 for the next 10 years for that child. Um, so it's free market, it doesn't grow government, it doesn't raise taxes, it doesn't create a new entitlement, and it doesn't put any more mandates on employers. And um, I thought it was a really creative uh, solution, and um, I, I think it's pretty good. Okay, for those of us not super savvy on all the terms you use, I want to make sure to, that we are following this. So right now, when Pe President Trump signed his tax law into 27, in 2017, Part of that was increasing the child tax credit credit from $1,000 to $2,000 per year. So that means a parent filing the federal income taxes gets a $2,000 tax credit for every kid every year. Right? Are you right? Essentially, yeah, it's uh, it's means tested. So, you know, yeah. if you don't, it's a tax credit. So if you don't make enough money to pay taxes, you get less money. Um, and if you make too much money, you start to get edged out of that. Okay, but for the wide swath of middle income earners, $2,000 yep. tax credit for each kid each year, right? That's correct. Okay, so what there's, you're saying, or, or what the Cassidy uh, Cinema Bill is saying, is that you could, as you were the parent and your tax payment, your taxes become due, you get that tax credit of $5,000 um, on your taxes that year. Is that right? So you're taking, so you go to file your federal income taxes and you would, you get 5,000 as a credit instead of 2,000. So this plan would work a little bit differently and it would be an upfront advance that you'd get right after having the baby. And it would be in the form of a direct deposit that you get in your, uh, your bank account right after having a baby. They're still working out the details on when and how to file that and, and get it all set up. But um, the essential idea is that you would get the $5,000 tax credit up front and uh, pay for it on the back end over the next 10 years. So you pay for that 5,000 by a reduction in what you're permitted as your tax credit for 10 years. That's how you're paying it back. That's correct. So okay. In, yeah. So instead of the two thousand that you're you're supposed to get, you'd only get fifteen hundred for that that kid every year. 
Okay, and is there a limit in how many kids you can do this for? Like, could you do it? I hope not. <laughs> no, 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 I, I'm just saying it because it's just a joke because I've got five kids. And uh, But no, um, I, 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 there's no limit. Uh, basically, um, you know, if you have a kid every year, uh, which, you know, I guess the, the biology and, and the you know, biological reality is the, is the one limit. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, our birth rate is at a record low. We've got 1.7 children per women out there. And if it causes a little bit of a baby boom or an increase in that, uh, I'm all for it. Oh, I, I don't disagree at all. And I really was just trying to pin down the details of it. And I, we were communicating uh, via email before today, and I had commented there was a, a proposal considered to be on the conservative side of the aisle uh, that was about essentially you can borrow against your Social Security. This was another idea floated. Borrow against your Social Security uh, as a form of getting money in now. So you have the child now and you can borrow against your Social Security. And then when you get to the age you would be eligible for Social Security, your ability to access your money would be pushed back in time, pushed later in time till you made up for the money you had borrowed. And I have to tell you my, my thought about that. I, I Actually, I like this Cassie idea a lot. I, I think it's really good. My mm -hmm. objection to some of the other ideas was, I want to have, I love your idea of incentivizing families and children. Uh, we didn't make it to five children, but we have three. I love that you have five. Um, That's pretty good. <laughs> but um, I don't want to have the government, I don't want to have, like the Social Security thing, what got me concerned about it was that people bearing children now are going to get to the age of Social Security, which is, unless it's massively changed, going to be gone or going to be out of money or going to, your, your allotment's going to be much, much less and I get concerned that people will say, okay, so I borrowed all that money at Social Security, but now here I am at retirement age, I can't afford to retire. You've got it. I mean, our government's going to respond to that kind of plea of, you know, I need the money. I know I borrowed it, but I still need it. And so this really doesn't have this, what you propose here, your backing here is more of a, uh, it's just changes a tax credit. It's not something that someone can go back and say, they, they can't come back and say, I need, I need more money now. It doesn't have that element to it, right? Yeah, no, and, and that's what I really like about this one is that it's based in free market principles and it doesn't create a new entitlement. It's, it's, and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, it's, we all get $2,000 for every kid we have as a child tax credit, and this is just part of the same program, essentially. Yep. Okay, I like that. I actually like that conservatives are trying to come up with um, responses because it get, the left otherwise has an easy argument about, well, look, we're the ones that care about moms. We care about babies. We care about children. This is why we're trying to give you a free benefit and those mean Republicans or mean conservatives won't help out. And this is saying, no, we're just doing it in a way that actually allows you to be responsible for your own money and doesn't burden other taxpayers. Is that about right? That's exact. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, I, I, I actually we hosted an event on paid family leave with Senator Marco Rubio and Senator Lee. And this was actually before the Cassidy bill was was planned uh, and introduced. But, um, you know, Senator Lee made a very interesting case uh, for borrowing from Social Security. Uh, and he basically said that. You know, Americans put in about 15 percent of I'm sorry, 12 and a half percent of their income every year into Social Security. Now, that's counting uh, the employer contribution to Social Security. Um, and they, the, the government basically says, all right, 
you have to wait 45 years before you can access any of your own money. Um, now, granted, no one has their own private social security account. That's just not how it works, and it's never really been how it's worked. How it worked. Um, but uh, what I really liked the idea of was it was almost like empowering uh, Americans and individuals to access some of that money uh, that they, you know, my generation probably won't ever get. Right. Um, right. But on the other hand, on top of that, you're tying it to children um, and having more children, and so the idea would be that you be creating more children that will be helping the long-term sustainability of social security. That was how they justified it. Now, I am very uh, aware of social security in politics and how it is a third rail. And uh, I'm very skeptical of anything that tries to touch social security. Uh, but that was basically, I just wanted to make sure I was giving their, their logic and their, their uh, reasoning for supporting that plan. Oh yeah, and I do think I, I, I think that does make sense, and I think there's also a um, there's just a in politics. I think on the right, we tend to be so logical, so bullet pointed, so formulaic, and so we pro and, and so we we do propose po many wonderful conservative policies. But there's a need sometimes to recognize what the left is always selling is everything should be free for you. It's the only reason you cannot afford to stay home with, with a child full time is because you really because uh, the mean rich Republicans won't help you out. So to, to to show flexibility and 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 support for families, I think is legitimate political goal uh, to to attract people or to to to. Uh, dampen the effect of the arguments of the left that that the only way to help people is just a big fat new government handout program no i think that's exactly right and i think that we're in a new era of politics and this isn't when ronald reagan was president where we as conservatives could advocate for just no government or less government in certain areas i think that we have to argue for that but we also have to have something to replace that government because where we are right now, it's not where, where the family is and where religious institutions were in the 1980s. It's not where they are today. And so if we're going to be successful as Republicans and as conservatives, we can't just argue for less government. We have to argue for more family. And we need to get the government out of the way uh, in all the ways that it's killing the family and killing religion. And that includes taking too much of our taxpayer dollars. And on that note, it's a great segue to the next topic I want to go to with you. Uh, so Terry Schilling, you authored an article at The Daily Caller called American Renewal, Why Conservatives Need to Fight on Social Issues, and then in parenthesis, and in Kentucky. And I want to start with, I want to get to Kentucky in a moment. It's a great state, a great state of Kentucky. But I first want to um, ask about this, or comment on what you said, and let, let you talk about a little bit. But there was a... Um, there's a recognition on the conservative side that our culture seems to be overwhelmed. The American culture is overwhelmed with liberal left-wing ideas that seem to rule the day in Hollywood, in media, in academia, in general cultural life, the rules of political correctness that only enforce left-wing views. Those are the views viewed as normal and healthy and right, and this is, and, and, and 
um, just kind of, we have on the Republican or conservative side, just thrown our hands up many times and just said, we, we just have to surrender. I mean, we can't win, we can't win any of these arguments. So you first made the point, I want to ask you to elaborate on it a little bit, just about the idea that one place we can fight is in politics. Even, you, you can't necessarily fight what academia and Hollywood say, but you can fight these, these uh, issues, the conservative social issues in politics. So can you speak to that point for a moment? Yeah, and, and I want to say that uh, I do think that we have to fight in other areas of culture. Uh, I think it's important that we have Professor Robbie George, for example, at Princeton and, and Dr. Mark Regnerus at the Austin Institute at UT. But at the same time, I think that we need to spend more money and put more resources and time into politics because it's the one area of our culture that has incredible opportunities for us to make gains and establish new institutions and, and renew old ones. So um, for the last several years, and you've probably heard this before, uh, the common wisdom uh, has always been um, something to the effect of, well, politics is downstream from culture, so let's focus on the culture and making the good arguments, and then the political battles and the political victories will follow from that. Well, that's not actually the whole story. I'd say that's probably about 50% of the story. So we believe that politics is one part of culture. And it's actually the part of culture where we make decisions about what our culture is. So the idea that conservatives have been abandoning this field of politics for the last several years, especially social conservatives, is kind of insane to us. And so what we're arguing in our entire reason for existence is to be that political organization defending the family, running campaign ads against politicians who are bad and running campaign ads in support of politicians that are good. Uh, it's, it's what drives us. And, um, you know, and what, before I, you know, turn it back over to you, I, I think the most visual thing that to help spell this out and, and, you know, explain to people why politics is so important is, Politicians don't care about the white papers that are produced by typical conservative organizations. They don't care about the public polling. They don't care about uh, you know any of the data or the research that is produced and put before them. What they do care about at the end of the day is their reelection. And that's what determines their voting behavior and whether or not they support our legislation or oppose it. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make the political case for all of our conservative uh, policy positions regarding family. And I think it's gonna be having a big impact in the next few years. I love that realization. You know, I've been um, involved in a variety of ways in politics a long time. And I think that is kind of a, uh, a turning point for many people as you get involved in politics. You can love different think tanks. You can love the ideas they put forth and the white papers they write and the data they come up with and the surveys they come up with. And the kind of beginning step of being involved in politics is thinking, oh, so now that we know this, that the majority of Americans think X, all we have to do is go show this to Congressman so-and-so, Senator so-and-so. And as soon as he sees this, he'll be with us because he'll know the people are with him. And I think that that is, a, as I say, a turning point or a, or a, a step of growth for many people involved recognizing the things that aren't going to impact their reelection, there are very few, I won't say no, there are no politicians, but very few politicians 
who get swayed by that. They may tell you they're swayed. They may have their uh, chief of staff sit down with you and say, oh, that's so great, so glad to know. At the end of the day, they want to be reelected, and frankly, they need money. They, they cannot turn off their major donors. Yeah, yeah. and so, so you're, to your point, which I, I really, I thought this article was very thoughtful just on that point, but then you were going into the idea that you have to understand what issues will really get to the um, people, the moderates, the centrists, the, you know, the kind of weak Democrat voters who might entertain the idea of um, a voting for a Republican. And so you did a little study, a survey. This is, again, that same piece we were just talking about. Uh, you guys did, a, your organization, American Principles Project, uh, did a survey, um, and it was a consumer research panel to assess the influence of social issues on Kentucky voters. And you honed in on what is it that the left stands for in this country that really could influence voters who are moderate, maybe moderate Democrats or, or centrists, to recognize and, uh, that the left actually stands for these things and they're bad? What issues can you target that will really sway voters to come around to the conservative side? So do you want to, I, I could read your whole thing here, but what, can you tell yeah. our listeners what it was that they, this is with respect to um, some of the transgender issues. Yeah, so um, the really cool thing is it's called a consumer research panel. And it basically, instead of just polling where people are or what they support, what we do is we actually find out what changes their voting behavior. So what makes them go from being a supporter of the Democrat to being a supporter of the Republican? And uh, we tested several issues. And one of the most powerful issues that we identified in Kentucky is the issue of allowing boys to identify as girls and compete against women in sports. And the real insanity here is that, I mean, this is something that we all know is true, right? That men have a natural athletic advantage over women. It's just, you know, our biology <laughs> after, you know, millennia. Yeah, exactly. It's just nature. We've got testosterone and we are, I think it's like, 10% taller on average. We have 7% higher body weight. It's uh, on average. I mean, it's, it's, it's really not fair. Um, and, but this shifted the electorate around eight and a half points towards Governor Matt Bevin uh, from our advertising that we've been doing. And there are other issues too that we should be directing things to, um, such as parental rights, allowing parents to make decisions for their children when it comes to medical decisions and the right to know what they're children are learning in public schools and and the right to not have secrets kept from them by their teachers and their counselors yeah. at school um another issue that we i was a little bit surprised about was the bathroom issue so overall the bathroom issue moved voters to the republican side in the survey by about three and a half points i think it was 3.4 points uh that was super low compared to the other issues. And I, I I don't know what that's attributed to. It could be just the fact that people don't consider bathrooms to be that big of a deal. They might look at showers a little bit differently, but uh, at the end of the day, we have been fighting this fight over sexual orientation and gender identity laws on our weakest grounds, on the grounds that move voters the least towards us. And what we're trying to do is shift this fight, shift our arguments and shift our focus to the Democrats' weakest grounds, where they we can just annihilate them and, and eliminate all of their support from soft Democrats and independents. I've often said if most American voters actually understood what the American left stands for on, in these issues, what they would tolerate, what they agree to, what they would defend, 
I truly think America would have a far more consistent, overwhelming shift toward conservatism for Republican voters. The left's positions on so many issues are so far afield from just basic common sense, basic common morality. One thing in your article you were talking about on this uh, consumer research panel, identifying Democrats, the two most unpopular questions in terms of the Democrats' views. One was allowing boys to participate in girls' sports. Uh, the other one was refusing to support parental rights for parents skeptical of gender ideology. And in a one-minute update for my listeners from yesterday's show, we talked about the case in Dallas involving a mom and dad, divorced, parents of twin sons. The mother wants to do gender transition for one of the two twin boys at age seven. She's pushing him to dress as a girl and give him a name as a girl. And there was a trial actually ongoing in Dallas yesterday. We talked about it in great detail. I want to tell you the jury came back yesterday. I'm going to talk about it more tomorrow, explain it in depth what the jury found. But the jury came back in favor of the mom, the one who wants to allow the child or assist the child in transitioning into being a girl as opposed to coming down the side of the dad who is saying, He's seven for crying out loud, and he loves being a boy. I'll give you more update tomorrow, but that jury did come back. My new lawyer friend in Dallas gave me a really long summary of what the jury actually found. It's very, very interesting. But going back to you, Terry Schilling of the American Principles Project. So if you have this kind of research, this kind of consumer panel, wouldn't this be a great thing to do on many issues for the Republicans to try to figure out what pushes voters' buttons? It seems like it would be the most brilliant research of all we should be doing. No, that's exactly right. And that's what we're trying to do here. So it's a little bit of twofold, right? We're trying to put our issues into politics and make a, a policy difference here um, on issues pertaining to the family. But at the same time, we're also breaking new grounds on political tactics and, and new me uh, mechanisms to identify voters and, and win elections. And so, you know, I, I remember back in 2014, there was a big push, and there still is in Texas, um, to turn the state blue. And the Republicans wanted to stop that. And so you had a lot of organizations, and I'm not going to name names, uh, but they were running ads towards Hispanics uh, that were talking about El Quistono Pipelono, um, essentially, and how it was going to create a lot of jobs. Now, I am... I haven't seen any of the polling on that, uh, but we do know that there are a lot of other issues besides the Keystone Pipeline yeah. that would do a lot better right. with Hispanic voters and family and operating businesses and uh, pro-life, all of these issues, those can be used in a much more effective way. And if they, I, whenever I meet, I meet with a ton of donors, I meet with a ton of different other conservative organizations. And I encourage them to do these consumer research yeah. panels just so that they have a better idea of what issues are going to be more persuasive when it comes to voters. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a it's a really awesome technique. I recommend the other cool thing that we haven't really talked about is that this technique allows us to identify hundreds of thousands of voters who are persuadable on this. So we do a consumer research panel with 
2,500 people in it. We have all this consumer data in the background on these respondents, and we're able to make a model from the people that switch their vote uh, and match that to the voter file. It is fascinating. And I know that when I'm running my ads in Kentucky, that it's only going to the top most persuadable people who care about my issue. I'm not going, I'm not wasting any money going to uh, voters who don't care about myself, which happens all the time when you pay for broadcast advertisements. Absolutely true. It's kind of conservative, grassroots, targeted to the audience and targeted messaging to the issue that is it is uniquely effective and persuasive. Is that about right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, yeah. and if I was giving my credit where it's due, I have to give a lot of it to the Susan B. Anthony list, which oh, is yeah. kind of like the NRA or the right to life <laughs> um, in a lot of ways. But they started doing this tactic and we kind of stole it from them because uh, our president uh, works for them as their top strategist. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm so sure they're cheering you on. Yeah, I know they're a great group. OK, Terry <laughs> Schilling, we're going to have to cut this off. I love talking with you. Sometime we'll um, come on, maybe when we get close to the uh, Kentucky gubernatorial election, I think it's November 5th. And so talk about yep, the, the two weeks. Yeah, in two weeks. Amazing. And actually, uh, this uh, Governor Bevin, very popular conservative, uh, you know, got a got a race on his hand. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll quick go with it. So tell me quickly, how are you trying to help Governor Bevin? So we're running ads right now on protecting women's sports and highlighting the fact that Bevin's Democrat opponent uh, supports legislation that would eliminate women's sports. We've identified over 400,000 people uh, that are persuadable on it, and we're having a huge impact on uh, with our ads. Around eight and a half points is what we're seeing right now. Um, but we're in the final days, uh, and we're kind of living hand to mouth, and we're raising the money as we go. Uh, we have 14 days left, and right now I've got funding for about the next six days. So I'm trying to fill in the gap and fund the last uh, that last eight days. So if anyone is out there listening, um, we could really use your help and support. If you go to extremeandybashir.com, uh, you can find all the information in our ads and there's a donate link and, and, and everything. Great. And your organization, to close out for our listeners, is the American Principles Project, which you can find at AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Great organization. Terry Shelley, thanks for joining me. Yep, thanks for having me, Debbie. Really appreciate it. Great to see you. Thank you. Okay, folks, I love it. I mean, people like that just kind of on fire and doing uh, work that he cares passionately about, and he's bringing the messaging about family and conservatism to the voters who can be swayed by it. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to tour the stories today. Um, and they're both extremely important stories. The first one is I just couldn't wait to at least plant the seed with you to encourage you to keep an eye on. We all, we've talked about in the show many times, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, and he is, was prosecuted under the Mueller uh, investigation uh, in a completely uh, perjury trap, you know, the kind of stuff that the government should never be doing. And he's now represented by the extraordinarily wonderful Dallas-based attorney, Sidney Powell. And something's happened in that case I just want to make sure you understand and follow. I mean, we could do a, we could do a week show about this case and how much has been exposed about our government. But in short, we mentioned a few weeks ago that both our new and current Attorney General Barr, as well as U.S. Attorney John Durham, went over to Italy as part of their investigation, essentially both checking out how in the world did this whole Russia collusion hoax get started. 
or the term they use, the genesis of it or the predicate of the entire investigation into President Trump and the false allegation of Russia-Trump collusion. Part of that story, I'm gonna read you just a brief piece from Sidney Powell's filing. She has now, so let me finish that. So Barr and Durham went over to Italy. They apparently came back with two cell phones, two, which are actually Blackberries, two Blackberries that belonged to Mr. Mifsud. If you remember that name, M-I-F-S-U-D, Mr. Mifsud. Mifsud was the one who was allegedly uh, innocently talking with George Papadopoulos in, uh, and the meeting was in London in April 2016, and Mifsud at that meeting told Papadopoulos, the Trump, the you know, Trump volunteer advisor, that the Russians have Hillary's emails. It was that planting of the seed by Mifsud to Papadopoulos that resulted ultimately in the uh, FBI beginning, Peter Strzok beginning the investigation based on alleged information that came to him that said that Papadopoulos, connected to Trump, knew that the Russians had Hillary's emails. The circuitous rule we talked about before is Mifsud was just setting up George Papadopoulos to try to get George Papadopoulos to say something to someone who would indeed tell someone else and finally get it back to the FBI. So here is a language from uh, the filing by uh, the extremely extraordinarily wonderful Sidney Powell, the woman attorney representing, representing Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Mr. Mifsud, a university professor and well-traveled lecturer, told George Papadopoulos, a Trump campaign advisor in London of April, in April 2016, that Moscow owned thousands of Hillary Clinton emails. When the news reached the FBI in July, Agent Peter Strzok initiated the probe. The FBI and Special Counsel Mueller have always contended that Mifsud was a Russian asset. Mr. Mueller's final report made no mention of the numerous associations Mr. Mifsud maintained with Western diplomats and intelligence figures. She goes on to say, Mr. Papadopoulos contends that Mifsud was a Western agent sent to entrap him. The motion she wrote says, Michael Flynn requests the government to be ordered to produce, Michael Flynn requests the government be ordered to produce evidence that has only recently come into its possession. This information is material, exculpatory, and relevant to the defense of Mr. Flynn, and specifically to the Oconus Luris, O-C-O-N-U-S, and Luris, L-U-R-E-S, which is an FBI acronym for the operation to lure a person back to the United States. In short, Sidney Powell has someone inside the FBI or the Department of Justice who let her know that when Barr and Durham went to Italy and talked to Mifsud and characters, or maybe didn't meet with Mifsud, we don't even know that, they came back with these two blackberries belonging to Mr. Mifsud. Mifsud has apparently disappeared, by the way. You're not able to find him right now. But the whole contention by Papadopoulos and many others is that Mifsud was never a Russian agent. He was an agent of the CIA. He was an agent of our own government trying to set up Papadopoulos, eventually trying to harm President Trump's candidacy and later his presidency. It matters a lot that Sidney Powell has made this motion. She obviously thinks she knows that information on the Blackberries belonging to Mifsud the Blackberries belonging to Mifsud, information on them, 
would be exculpatory, meaning would be information that would cause the Lieutenant General Michael Flynn defense, would have been relevant to the defense, would have in fact perhaps vindicated him from the uh, amazing uh, accusations against him. And now we have both James Clapper, the former DNI, Director of National Intelligence, and John Brennan, the former head of the CIA, both now heading into being investigated or questioned by U.S. Attorney Durham. There is an argument between um, the CIA and the FBI about how much information, or the CIA and the DOJ, about how much secret information inside the CIA that those witnesses, that especially Brennan, has to give or has to divulge or documents he has to share. The CIA is trying to protect documents and the DOJ is saying, no, we're here to investigate. We need to see those documents. But the point is, Barr and Durham are still digging. It matters that they went over and got Mifsud's uh, blackberries. It matters that Sidney Powell knows there's something in them. And it matters Think about this for just a moment. Why in the world, why in the world did not the Mueller investigation, the two plus year investigation, mountains of authority with attorneys helping him, FBI agents helping him, depositions taken, subpoenas, document production, all of that. Somehow, Robert Mueller never cared to track down, never pursued, as it appears, to track down what was in this guy Mifsud's blackberries. Maybe he didn't want to know. And his final report, as you know, never made any reference to Mifsud actually being a CIA asset instead of being a Russian asset, as the whole coup plotters tried to tell America. We gotta stay tuned on this one, folks. Very, very interesting. Final, very quick story before we go to why it matters to you. I just wanna tell you, in the great state of Minnesota, I always say about Minnesota, I've been there dozens and dozens of times in my life. My, my parents grew up there, we have cousins there. I, I, it's a beautiful state overrun with left-wingers at this point, I'm sorry to report, overrun with the uh, a very the uh, red-green axis, you know, the, uh, the Marxists who have locked arms with the Islamists. And so it's unfortunate because it's a beautiful state and many good and noble people living there, uh, but not all of them. So I want to quick say this about what's happening in this, in Christian persecution. So there's a, a, a couple in Minnesota whose names are Carl and Angel Larson, a married couple. They own a video production company. They're devoutly Christian. They say so in their mission statement. The purpose of their, of their video, um, videography company um, is to glorify God and to glorify Christ. That's what they say. I'm short, shortening it to get to the point of the story. So they decide to expand their video production business into filming weddings. And they had, of course, the state of Minnesota with now Attorney General, okay, how to describe him? Former U.S. Senator, Democrat, now Attorney General, Muslim, left-wing, Attorney General of the state of Minnesota, came after them. This is a, um, an astonishing uh, thing that first happened. So to make, to make the story quick, they, the Attorney General, Keith Ellison, um, came after this company to say, you can't do this videography business unless you're willing to do videos for same-sex weddings. They said, no, actually, you know, we support traditional marriage, it's our Christian values. So because the, states or the state entity named the, the Minnesota State Human Rights Act 
what was being enforced against them, saying you can't discriminate based on you know same-sex marriage or based on um, whether people in the marriage are same-sex. The Larsons, trying to protect themselves, went to federal court, filed a lawsuit saying essentially, we're being forced by the state of Minnesota to do things that violate our uh, Christian beliefs. We're being forced by the state to extend our videography services to same-sex marriage, which we see is inconsistent with our Christian values. The Attorney General, Keith Ellison, doesn't care one little bit what they think about their Christian values. In fact, he's trying to force them to either shut down their business or perform services for same-sex weddings, their videography services they don't want to do. So the case went along. The plaintiffs, the, the couple who owned the business, Carl and Angel Larson, went to federal court, and they won in federal court to start with. So they went to federal court um, claiming their, violates, their, their, their constitutional rights are being violated. Um, the uh, Minnesota, the state of Minnesota won the first round at trial court, the district, U.S. Federal District Court. John turned, and all these judges, by the way, you can always figure out how they're going to come out based on whether they were appointed by a Republican president or a Democrat president, but which it shouldn't be that way, but it is. So this couple had the first round U.S. District Judge John Turnheim, uh, Tunheim, appointed by Bill Clinton, ruled against them, saying, no, you can't have your business unless you're willing to honor same-sex marriage, went up an appeal. The district, the uh, next court up, the appellate court, the circuit court, ruled in favor of the couple, saying the state of Minnesota was violating their constitutional rights by forcing them to do to make videos at same-sex weddings. So they win, and instead of taking the case to the Supreme Court, which would be the next logical step, if the state of Minnesota wants to keep trying to force these people to participate in a wedding that they find to be inconsistent with their religious values, instead of that, Keith Ellison filed a new lawsuit again going back, trying to force them to do what they say is, uh, violates their religious freedom. I will get around to the points about the outcome of this. It ha does not have an outcome yet, but this is the left using the courts to force people to take actions inconsistent with their religious values, inconsistent with their belief in Christianity. In fact, the evidence so far at this, at this new uh, court, this new uh, case in federal court shows this attorney general, Keith Ellison in Minnesota, with all the things he could be working on, like crime and investigating crime and solving issues facing a state, was actually setting up this couple and other, other organizations, service providers who support traditional marriage, setting them up by sending in fake clients, fake same-sex couples into these, organ into these organizations just to see if they could get the, the organization to say, no, I'm sorry, we only, we only work with traditional marriage. This is using the tax dollars of the state of Minnesota to hassle private citizens in a place where these couples, same-sex couples, have all sorts of other service providers they could turn to. But the state of Minnesota, especially Keith Ellison, not okay with that because the point of what he's trying to do is shut down Christianity, shut down Christian values in this country, make it impossible for people to practice their Christian faith in America. Note, he is Muslim. Islam also does not support same-sex marriage, to say the least. No information of him trying to set up, no hint of him trying to set up Muslim-owned businesses to force them to provide services to same-sex couples 
only the Christian businesses are the target of his sting operations. This, my friends, is a huge problem in Minnesota. And now, since we're uh, really pushing it in time today, I want to turn to talking about why the stories we talked about today matter to you, why they matter to preserving this precious country. First story, Hillary and Tulsi, the Russia fantasy, the Democrat presidential candidate includes one proud veteran. Tulsi, yeah, a veteran, by the way. Hillary smears her as a likely Russian asset to divide the Democrat vote. Not one Democrat candidate polling above 2% has denounced Hillary smear. Nobody says a word. Per Charlie Kirk on Twitter, the brilliant Charlie Kirk, Kirk, does anyone else find it strange? The same woman, Hillary, who paid for the Russian dossier, whose husband made a half a million dollars for Russian speech, who sold 20% of U.S. uranium to Russia, whose foundation received $150 million from Russia, keeps calling other people Russian assets. Kind of crazy. Flynn, Powell, and Mifsud. Mueller implied Joseph Mifsud was a Russian asset. Mueller implied that. Who shared information about Hillary's emails with George Papadopoulos. And this was and is a linchpin, a true launchpin. I guess we wrote launchpin, linchpin, maybe both. Um, of the Russia collusion hoax. Someone inside the DOJ or FBI apparently tipped off Sidney Powell as counsel for Michael Flynn of the recent capture of Masood's cell phones or Blackberries, and she has demanded they be produced in court because she believes they have exculpatory information as to Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Rampant speculation that these phones were issued to Masood by Brennan's CIA because Mifsud was working for Brennan and the CIA to frame Donald Trump and harass and frame General Flynn. If the speculation proves true, we must demand justice. The rare prosecution of powerful people. I wanna add a point to that one. I've gotten so many comments from listeners saying, that I'm crazy to be thinking that Attorney General Barr is ever going to get to the bottom of this, that there's ever going to be prosecutions of anyone for the whole Russian collusion, ho- collusion hoax. Folks, I can't say I know, but I am, I am at this point confident that Barr intends to do that. He's trying to do it. I, I hope I'm right, but if I'm wrong, yeah, then I'll say so. My listeners called me out on it first. Okay, last slide if we could. Christian persecution in Minnesota. The legal culture of Minnesota is militant secularism, but with a pass for Islam. Minnesota Christians are in the crosshairs of Democrat Muslim Attorney General Keith Ellison. A Christian-based video production company is being made into an example. State tax dollars and resources used to do sting operations against these kind of couples and then to force Christian citizens to deny their faith. This is the red-green axis. Red is the Marxist big government power. Green, Islamist. Minnesotans and all Americans must wake up. The left's intolerance for Christianity cannot be denied. The mission is to force Christianity into silence and submission. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Support me in social media in all the ways I always tell you you can. I so appreciate that. And tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America?